Ezekiel chapter 8. You know, I'm going to slow down a little bit, so we're not going to go. Usually we're going two chapters. It's kind of funny. Some churches will go five chapters, you know. And so obviously there's different ways to read the Bible. There's different ways to study the Bible. You can get like more of a just a broad overview uh, when you're kind of covering more chapters. But then when you just maybe, you know, dive in a little bit, and sometimes on Sunday mornings we'll only cover a few verses. Uh, tonight we're just going to do one chapter. And um, I don't know, I just sense like the Lord wanted me to slow down a little bit. And you guys are going to see that as you slow down, you can get uh, more things out, obviously. You know, if you were to go walk down Lower Azusa Road, you're going to see a lot more than if you were to drive by it. And so it's kind of the same principle. And so in Ezekiel chapter 8, it's a heavy uh, chapter. And, and I entitled it um, an Amber Alert. Amber Alert. Now, how many of you heard of Amber Alerts? You guys have heard of Amber Alerts, right? It's a message distributed by a child abduction alert system to ask the public for help in finding abducted children. And so it originated actually back in 1996 as a collaboration between news media and police in Arlington, Texas. And it's actually, it's a, it's a, there's a, a word for it. I can't think of it right now. But it, it, it originates uh, not only uh, through the acronym, but also through her name, Amber uh, this little girl was only nine years old when she was abducted January 13th, 1996, while she was riding her bike with her younger brother. Uh, they were instructed not to go too far, just if anything, just around the block. But I guess there was this place where they could ride their bikes and they, there was a cool jump there. And she went and uh, eight minutes later, she was gone. And so, you know, they, they, you know, they, they, they one guy heard her scream. They, they made a phone call, but it was too late. But, but as a result of that, they thought about how, you know, this, uh, this emergency alerts for weather and national uh, emergencies were in place. Why weren't there alerts for abducted children? And so that's what started the Amber Alert. And as a result of that, um, since it, it started, 1,000 abducted children have been rescued as a result of that. And so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, believe it or not... <laughs> Today's study, um, God appears in the color of amber. And, and it's a trip because, you know, Ezekiel's going to see God. He saw God with the same color in chapter 1, and he's going to see God with that color in chapter 8 as well. And it, it's almost, and again, like an amber alert. If I could just use that in one sense, and maybe it'll stick. You know, it's, uh, it's children have been abducted by the enemy, the people of God. And there's this warning, you know, that, that's taking place. And there's so many things I can think about. God gives us these warnings. Don't ride over there. Don't go that far. Just, you know, be so careful. And otherwise, you know, you're going to face the consequences. And so for us as a church, you know, we, we heed the warnings. We're reading Ezekiel 8. We're seeing the way that, you know, Israel, God's people were judged. And I see what's going on in the United States of America. And I, and I just can't help. But just conclude that the rapture has to happen soon because there is a remnant. You guys love God. Amen. Does any of you, do any of you love, love God? All right. And so um, we're going to get raptured out and the judgment is going to fall on this nation. And we're going to see as we go through this chapter, there are many uh, parallels between what happened to Israel and what's going on in the United States of America today. And we see the, the way that things are escalating in the, in the Middle East and we see the abominations that are taking place in our nation.
And in Ezekiel chapter 9, we're not there yet, but in Ezekiel chapter 9, you know, God instructs the, uh, the angels to go and to mark the people. And it's an interesting word in the Hebrew language, that word mark in the old Hebrew it is just a single letter in the Hebrew alphabet that looks like a cross. And so the angels is sent to mark the people with, with like a cross, and then the rest would be judged. And that's kind of what's going to happen. It's exactly what's going to happen in the rapture that we're going to be taken out. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, not everyone's going to die. What we find is there's going to be a rapture. It's going to happen any moment. And then the judgment of God will fall. So I'm hoping that all of you here today, you're ready. Are you guys ready? You're ready for his return? And uh, if you're not, then, you know, we're here to encourage you to get right with God, you know, to just surrender your heart, to experience the forgiveness that he offers, because it's so important that we are not playing church, but that we are in truly a right relationship with God. And so notice what we read here in Ezekiel chapter 8, it says in verse 1, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and there was a likeness, like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist downward, fire, and from his waist and upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. He stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. And so again, if you would look at verse 1, and it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I mean, Homeboy knows exactly when it is, right? And one of the things you'll find about Ezekiel, he has to be the most precise of all the prophets when it comes to the dates. And so this is the sixth year of Jehoiakim's exile. It's the sixth month, the fifth day, and we can actually pinpoint it to September 17th, 592 B.C. And so when you compare this with Ezekiel 1, 1 through 2, you find that it's exactly 14 months since his first vision there in chapter 1. And so in between that time, Ezekiel gave, you might remember as we've gone through Ezekiel 1 uh, to this point, um, you'll find that he gave four action sermons in chapters 4 through 5, and then he delivered two more messages on judgment in chapters 6 through 7. And just in case you're interested, uh, we have here the vision of, Is of Ezekiel again, more visions. We're going to see that really the whole section of chapters 8 through 11, they all kind of belong together. And so in case you're interested, the six visions of Ezekiel are the vision of God in chapter 1, the vision of the scroll in chapter 2, 9 through 3, 3, the vision of the plain 
in the remainder of chapter 3, in the vision of Jerusalem, which is what we're going to get into right now, the wickedness in the temple, and next week, Lord William, the inhabitants of the city, burning of the city, until eventually, in chapter 11, the vision is, the glory of God departs. In the Hebrew, it's Ichabod. And so we don't want to come to that place. We don't want to be like a Saul, where the Spirit left him. We don't want to be like a Samson. He said, I'll get up and I'll do it like I've always done it. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. See, if you mess around when we're living in sin, then that, those are the types of warnings. Those are the types of amber alerts that God gives to us. Children can be abducted. And this is why it's so important that we stay close to Jesus. Very important. And so here we see, um, we read in verse 1 that Ezekiel's there. He's just kicking back in his house with the Jewish elders in Babylon, remember? And then the hand of the Lord comes upon him. Now, not literally, but it looks like a hand. And, and, and in verse 2, he sees this vision of the Lord that fits the situation. See, one of the things that you'll see in the Bible is that God, you know, he can be a lamb, he can be a lion. He appears, and when you read, especially in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you know, he appears in what, the way he needs to be seen. And so here, he's fire. I mean, he is fire from the waist downward. Let me tell you something. God is a consuming fire. And then from the waist upward, there's this, uh, there's this amber color, right? And it's an interesting thing. That it's the glow. It's a light. It's a brightness. Uh, amber is usually kind of like a yellowish-orange color, like a pure chroma. Uh, the same word is used in chapter 1, verse 4, and, and chapter 1, Verse 27. As a matter of fact, let's go back to chapter 1 real quick because I want you to see this is God. <laughs> this, look what it says in Ezekiel 1. In verse 26, it says, And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne. A throne, right? This is God's throne. In appearance, like a sapphire stone on the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. How many of you guys look forward to the day that we're going to see God? It's going to be amazing. You know, the glory of God. Here Ezekiel sees the Lord and the fire obviously is in reference to his holiness and even his eyes of, of judgment and then the, the brightness, the light, the amber, the, the holiness. This is what Ezekiel sees and in the context we see it's a context of, of judgment. And so we read here in verse 3 that God reaches down with this hand. He takes Ezekiel by the lock of his hair. And I'm just picturing a ponytail. And so um, I don't know if it's a ponytail or not. I, I think it is. He lifts him up and he's dangling there between earth and heaven. And he brings him, it says, in visions to, to, of, of God to Jerusalem. And then he lands right there at the door of the north gate of the inner court. And so, how many of you think this happened literally? 
like Ezekiel was taken from Babylon and transferred literally to Jerusalem. Now, there are some who believe that. I mean, and it is possible, to be honest. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, 39 through 40, this is what happened to Philip. It says, Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and if you look at a map, that's 30 miles away. So boom, he just was picked up and he was taken over there. Eventually he made it way, his way to Caesarea. And so it is possible that Ezekiel was literally taken from here to there. But more than likely, it wasn't literal. More than likely, it wasn't physical. And the primary reason we believe that is because of the intrinsic evidence. And that is that it says right here, he has brought in the visions of God to Jerusalem. And so more than likely, it was a vision, um, although later he does kind of dig through a hole. So, again, we don't know. But either way, when he lands there, he sees an idol, an image that provokes jealousy. And so you think of the temple and this glorious temple of, of Solomon, just so beautiful, right? I mean, half the world's gold was at this temple. It was just this glorious temple. And the people of Israel were committing a spiritual uh, idolatry. Look again at verse 3 here in Ezekiel chapter 8. Um, verse 3. I know there's a 3 in here somewhere. Um, well, I'll just pick it up right here. It says, And brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem to the door of the north gate, of the inner court where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And so he's taken, and, and that's, that's the first thing he, he sees. The people of Israel were committing spiritual adultery. And surely this provokes God to jealousy. Now, uh, is jealousy a good thing? Uh, is that a good thing? While an unwarranted jealousy is not, an unwarranted jealousy is sin, and it's an act of the flesh. Second Corinthians twelve twenty it talks about that. Galatians five nineteen through twenty it says, "Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Those are all sexual sins, by the way. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentious jealousies." outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. And, and Paul says there in the book of Galatians, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so jealousy is among that list. So, you know, we, we see that about jealousy. Now, having said that, there is also a good jealousy. There's a healthy jealousy. And that means that, you know, you love that person and if they go out on you, if they're unfaithful to you, I mean, of course, that not only hurts, but, you know, that, that provokes an aspect of at least an element of anger within you. Jealousy, in that case, is, is a good thing. And the Bible says that the Lord is a jealous God. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. You know, God wants us to be devoted to Him, and there should be no idols between us, um, no one before him. He's a jealous God. As a matter of fact, we read in Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. 
And then it's interesting in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, it says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Have you ever had someone, you know, jealous for you? I mean, were you kind of flattered? I'm just curious, maybe. You know, maybe in a sense it's kind of a good thing, you know. Um, for God, for I hope that tonight you would know that that's how much he loves you. That if we put any other love or affection, any other ambition, possession, relation before him, do you have anyone or anything before God? God's not cool with that. He has to be number one. And so here we see they had these, these idols that were set up. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the book of Ezekiel, the word jealous or jealousy is found ten times. It was uh, something that God was unfortunately having in his heart because of their unfaithfulness. And so I hope you guys don't think that the Lord is like an immature demigod who gets jealous or angry for no reason. No, he's the one and only God who loves us, made us, who's faithful to us, and he expects us to be faithful to him. And so uh, right here in his house, right here in his house, his people were committing spiritual adultery. And it's the same place where the glory of God was. Look again at verse 4. It says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, the glory of God is there. The glory of God is within you. God lives within you. You know, our church, in one sense, we're, we're, we, you know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we gather together as a church, the glory of God is here. But then not just congregationally, but personally, the glory of God is here. And this is why we, we have to be devoted to him. I, I pray that you would. You know, that God gets jealous. He brings it up again. Look at verse 5. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. And so I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary? Not only was this idol in the temple precincts, but it was placed in the very entrance of the temple. It would be the first thing the people would see. They would see this idol. Imagine if you walked through our doors, you guys, and the first thing you saw, let's say, was a statue of Buddha or, or a big old statue of Mary. You know, the Catholics call her the Virgin Mary. You probably wouldn't even walk in. You'd walk out and you'd say, what's going on here? Am I in the right place? Why is that? Because most of you are healthy Christians. And you know that's not right, right? And those of you who love the Lord and you know the sanctity of even a place like this, you might even take a sledgehammer to it, huh? How many of you would do that? <laughs> uh, let's just say, um, if there was a statue right there in the entrance to our door, that would be an issue, right? We can't live like that. You know, thank God there are no statues in our church, you know, our temple building, so to speak. But, of course, we know that the temple is not just the physical structure. It's our, it's our bodies. It's our life. And so that's the big question, I think, for tonight. Are there, is there any other idol? Is there, are there any other statues that we're bowing down to, so to speak? 
You know, Lord, and I have to examine my life and you have to examine your life. Would you rather watch the game or do we rather spend time with God? You know, some people worship the game. They worship the game or whatever it might be. You know, they want to go make more money. Yeah, they'd rather make more money than, you know, make more disciples. There's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of temptations in this world that we live in, especially in the United States of America. Many, 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 many people are looking at pornography. They say 70% of young men are addicted to it. When, when, the, when, the, when the truth is, because you might be there and you're like, oh, yeah, I like to look and I can't stop and I'm just a young man, it's totally natural. Well, I thought God lived inside of you. When God lives inside of you, you're not in bondage to sexual sin, not unless you want to be. And if you want to get free, then you've got to talk to somebody about it because none of us can probably do this on our own strength, right? So this is this, these idols, that, that our nation is in bondage to is crazy. You know, I was reading this article about uh, a man. Maybe you guys heard of him. His name is Michael Cassidy. And uh, apparently there was a, a statue uh, in, that was placed in, in Iowa in, in their courthouse. I mean, it would be like going down here to El Monte, you know, um, you know the, the courthouse right there. You know, that's our center of the city. And there is this statue of, uh, of that the Satanist had put up. I don't know if you guys saw it. I think we got a picture of it. Um, no, let's see here. That one's toward. That's for the end. We do have a picture, and I you, maybe you might not want to look at it because it's kind of an ugly one with horns and stuff. And so, yeah, that that. So it wasn't that one exactly. The next picture actually shows what it looked like. But one of the guys, Michael Cassidy, he's, he loves uh, America, he loves the Lord, and he went in there and he tore it down. He tore it down. Now, they arrested him, and, you know, supposedly he's going to be prosecuted and things like that. But that's the kind of heart that we need to have because we're seeing stuff like Now, imagine that in, in the church. And then you drive by these churches and they got the rainbow flag flying high. God sees that, and this is why when these idols are there and these crazy things that are going on in the church, in us, in you, do you realize who you are? We are the temple of God. Here's this crazy idol there, and I thank God for men like Michael Cassidy with the courage to break it down and cut off its head. That's what he did. Those are the types of things that we need to do. You know, we have to make sure, and I have to make sure, and I examine my life, you guys. I'm not up here saying that I have it all together. I, don't, I just don't want anyone or anything to come before God. And so, you know, when you look at this statue that Ezekiel is talking about, many have speculated that it, it, it is the, the, the image of Asherah. Manasseh had set up that image right there in the temple. We read in 2 Kings 21.7, he even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son in his house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And so Manasseh had set up this, this image. I would show you an image of it or a picture of it, but I can't because it's not appropriate. It's a sexual image that was there in, in the temple. And so um, I, I, I most 
people, they believe it was probably Asherah. Manasseh put it up, his son took it down, and others put it back up. We don't know for sure, but one thing we are certain about is what happens when a person sets up idols in their hearts and declines God's loving warnings to stop? Stop two-timing him? Eventually, God distances himself from those people. We read that here, and again, in, in verse 6. It says, Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me to make me go far away from my sanctuary? That's what happens. And that's why a lot of times in, you know, in, in, in the movement of God, in the denominations, you know, at one time the, the Methodists were all right on, at one time the Lutherans were all right on, at one time the, you know, you name it, you can name the denomination. The reason they became a denomination at one time is because God was working in them in a great and mighty way. And the same thing can happen to us as Calvary chapels. And that can happen to a church, local congregation. It can happen to a person who at one time was in love with God. They're no longer in love with God. And God is warning and God is saying, hey, don't, you know, ride. You can ride just right here, but don't ride your bike too far or whatever the case may be. He gives you the divine details. But, we know, if we don't heed the warnings, then what can happen is God will say, okay, you don't want me in your life. You, you don't want me to lead you. You don't want me to love you. You don't want me to guide you. You don't want me to protect you. You don't want me to anoint you. You don't want me to use you. Okay, then, I I won't. I'll honor your decision, and it will be like that forever. God will always honor our decisions. In this case, they were sinning, and eventually God had to distance himself. The same thing that we see happen to Samson and Saul. Um, We're going to see later, eventually, in chapter 11, the glory of God departs from the temple, even out of the city. Judges 16.20, it says, uh, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Saul had a great beginning, I think, uh, in one sense. He was humble, um, but it didn't last long. Uh, He did have victories, and he had so much potential. But, you know, um, eventually uh, he came to a place where it says in 1 Samuel 16, 14, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Imagine that. You trade in the Spirit of God for demons. That's what happens sometimes. You know, we have to love God this much. And you, I'm sorry, you have to, I say this all the time. But what that means, Manny, that's not very much. I thought you are supposed to love God no, this much. Well, love Him this much. And what that means is that nothing comes between you. Amen? It's just tragic what happened in Jerusalem. God speaks to Ezekiel. Look in verse 6b. Now, now turn again. You will see greater abominations So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. 
So it's interesting, huh? Now, now the hole in the wall, it might not mean much,、uh, but I've learned over the years, you know, usually there's nothing insignificant in the scripture. So why is there this hole in the wall?、Uh, I think sometimes God shows us a hole in the wall. Not that, you know, what, what would you do if you saw a hole in the wall right here? I'm just curious. What would you guys do? How many of you guys would go up to it and look in? I'm just curious, right? I think that's kind of what we would do, right?、Um, and again, not that we're being Mithichis or anything or, or sin sniffers, right? But, but, you know, let's just say that there's, God shows you like a hole in the wall. And in one sense, He might be trying to expose something. He might be trying to bring something so that it rises to the surface, right? And so I, I think that's what's going on right here. And then God shows Ezekiel the hole in the wall. And then what does he tell him to do? He tells him to dig in. Dig in a, a little deeper. Don't ignore that hole in the wall that I've shown you. you. You see that hole in the wall, you start praying, you start obeying. And with a pure heart, you start finding out is there sin in the camp? Is that person right there maybe struggling?、Uh, are you doing okay? Sometimes we have to approach it that way. Not just be oblivious, not just say, well, loving people is just kind of letting them you know, alone. It's not always like that. And this part of the vision, Ezekiel digs in. Now, now keep in mind, this is now the inner court of the temple. And as he goes in there, tragically, the walls are just rampant with idolatry, the abominations of the idols of all the nations、uh, Egypt, Canaan, Assyria, Babylon, no doubt,、uh, all were there. And so. Again, I don't know how much I should read into it. At the end of the day, they're just guilty of idolatry. But when you think of the way that they're, you know, they're all along the walls, to me, I mean, that's,、uh, it, it shows their life, but it might even say something about the art that we have in life and whatever it is that you might call art. It could be music, it could be paintings, it could be. You know, movies or, or things like that that you just feast on with your eyes.、Uh, I see that in the world that we live in today, definitely a demonic stronghold that God has on our nation. And so Ezekiel's there and he says, You got to go in, you got to see what's happening here because they have these abominations all around that they're just feasting on, this art that they have. Not only are the carvings on the wall, though, more importantly, look what else Ezekiel sees in verse 11. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jaazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols, for they say, the, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And so, 70 elders,、um, we know seven is a number of perfection or completion. More than likely, it's full representation of the leaders there. Jaazaniah, he's the son of Shaphan. And they're standing with incense、uh, censers before the carvings of the wall. You guys know what incense signifies, right? What does it symbolize? Prayer, right? Revelation 5 8. We always go back to Revelation 8, Psalm 141, 1 and 2. Incense is prayer. So they're praying to these,、uh, these idols. These 70 elders are not the Sanhedrin because that didn't come until after the Babylonian captivity was complete, but they did represent Jerusalem. 
You might remember back in Numbers 11, 16 through 17, Moses needed help to bear the burden of the nation. So 70 were chosen to assist him. And so at the end of the day, these are the leaders. These are the leaders. And this is what they're doing. You know, Ezekiel mentions one of them by name, Jaazaniah. It's interesting. His name means Yahweh does hear. You know, and we think we can say whatever we want to say as if God didn't hear. And then we think we can do whatever we want to do as if God doesn't see. No, God does hear. This guy was named that. But unfortunately now, he's not living that life. And I think that they were saying that more than likely Ezekiel's surprised because more than likely he's a descendant of a godly man. And you would not expect this from Jaazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Now, the descendant of Shaphan, this is the guy that helped Josiah with uh, the Reformation when things were good. This is a godly ancestor. But look now what his descendant is a part of. He's identified here, maybe even the leader of the leaders, not right with God. And so... (laughs) This incense, uh, this prayer, and we got to know, you guys know this, right? You can only pray to God. You can't pray to saints. You guys know that, right? You can't pray to Mary. And they're not omniscient. They can't, you know, they don't know everything. They can't hear everything. Only God is the one that we pray to. And so we see um, these guys right here were doing what they were doing part of it because they were mistaken when they said the Lord seeth us not. One guy said what was done in the dark in those days was seen by the Lord even as it is today. Thick walls and thick darkness do not hinder in the least the x-ray sight of him who views all things. So they were deceived into thinking that the Lord doesn't see but he sees everything. And I and I think, I, I don't know, I wonder, does the church, do, do our, our, our people, do they have that in their heart? I wonder, because that's life-changing. When you, can't, when you realize Psalm 139, when you realize that you can't escape his eyes of omniscience, the way he gazes at everything, and he sees everything, and he hears everything, and he even sees our heart. This is why our heart's got to be right, too. It's important for us to understand that the Lord sees everything and he does care. Right here it says that they were believing the fact, you know, they were thinking, oh, the Lord doesn't care. He's forsaken us. No, he hasn't forsaken them. They forsake the Lord. But he sees. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I have uh, about 20 other verses uh, that, that support that, that, that doctrine. If you're interested, you can see me afterwards because it's so important that we have this understanding that God sees everything that we can't hide from him. The Bible says in Psalm 139, even if I travel the speed of light, how many of you guys can, tra- can run fast? I'm just curious. We should have a, a, a race one day. We'll have everybody run. See who's the fastest one in the church, huh? I'm just joking. 186,000 miles per second, the speed of light. Even if I took the wings of the morning, I couldn't hide from him. You know, and he, he you know, of course, you've heard it said, he, you know, he, he loves you so much, he can't take his eyes off you. 
That's the way it is. It's a different life when you realize that. But right here we see it wasn't just the leading men, however. It, it was also the ladies. Uh, and even though the ladies are usually more faithful, it doesn't always work that way. Look what it says in verse 13. And he said to me, turn again and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. And so he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, Ezekiel says, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And so not only were the men far from God, but, but the women. And, and those of you guys in ministry, you know a lot of times the ladies are, are more faithful, huh? It just seems that way, you know? But here we see not there, not then. Now, of course, the leaders might be partially to blame, right? But here we see these women, they're, they're weeping. They're weeping for Tammuz. And it's an interesting... This right here, I wish we had more time to develop it, but Tammuz uh, is, uh, is this, uh, to me, it, it's just demonic, right? Uh, Tammuz uh, was known as the good young one when it comes to these, you know, gods of history. His beauty caught the attention of Ishtar. Now, Ishtar was another uh, false pagan god. It's where we actually get our word Easter from. And it's a real fascinating uh, uh, story. Um, basically, Ishtar and Tammuz, they got together. They got kind of like married, right? This is what they say in their pagan uh, theology. And eventually, they had a falling out. Uh, some say it's because of the fact that Ishtar traveled to take a throne. And uh, I guess the gods of the underworld said, you're wrong in doing that. They took her down uh, to the underworld. Um, but then what happened was that while she was dead, sexual relations ceased over the entire universe. And so the, the main god, Enki, allowed her to, to rise. And you, that's why you see a lot of these pagan um, practices were just deeply embedded with orgies and sexual relations and things like that. But um, you know, eventually he said, you can come up, but you have to find someone uh, to go to hell in your place. And so she was looking for... You know, who should I send down there to the underworld? And uh, to her, uh, you know, she's scouring uh, the world. She finds that her ex-husband or whatever, this guy, uh, Tammuz, um, was having a good old time, even though she had died. And so he's like, I don't, she's like, I don't like this. I'll send him, you know, to hell. And so it's a really interesting story. Eventually it says that she felt bad. And so she went down to Hades and rescued him. But uh, the God said um, that, okay, we'll, we'll work out a compromise here. Uh, six months, he's going to be in the underworld. And the other six months, his sister, Tammuz's sister, will be in the underworld. And while uh, he's in the underworld, uh, it's the summertime where there's really not a lot of growth, agriculturally speaking. And um, basically what these women were weeping about was his death, was his time in, in Hades. It just, you know, they were just tormented by this. This is what they would do. This is how they would worship. This is what they believed. This is how far they had drifted from God. And, and what we find as we're looking, living life is this, these abominations. Right here, even Ezekiel, this is the first time he says it. He says in verse 14, And to my dismay... Women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. You know, later on in Ezekiel chapter 9, 
he says, put a mark on those who weep and sigh over sin. That's what we should be weeping over. But what we see right here is when, man, they get the hold of you, these false uh, practices and lives and religion. Look at verse 15. He said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again. You will see greater abominations than these. And so he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. You know, this was actually the place where they were supposed to cry out to God for mercy because of their sin. You read the book of Joel. It's a really cool verse. Chapter 2, verse 17. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. That's where they were supposed to be weeping for their sins. Let, let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? The very place they're supposed to be weeping and standing in the gap for the nation was the very place they had their backs turned towards God. This is the first time we see now their backs are turned towards God, uh, away from God, and they're worshiping the sun. What are they doing? They're worshiping the creation rather than the creator, right? Ezekiel 9.6 identifies them as, as elders and leaders. By worshiping the sun, they directly disobeyed Deuteronomy 4.19 where God explicitly prohibited this. And now they've turned their backs on God. And, 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 as, and as you're going through this, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about like the way that it seems like it escalates. You know, it's interesting. The word abomination is found seven times in this chapter. About about thirty percent of every of, of the word, uh, the whole Bible, the word abomination is, is found in the book of Ezekiel. Thirty percent of its occurrences are found in this book. Seven times in this one chapter, and, and what we see going on here. To me, uh, what you might wonder, well, how come it, it escalated? If you're, you're saying it, the worst thing was the worship of the sun, because it seemed to escalate greater abominations, greater abominations, and now it escalates to the worship of the sun. And, and, and to me, I think that, you know, of course, you know, I got to be careful with this, but when you read the book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, I, I actually want you guys to turn there. It begins to make sense. And you begin to see. Now, I'm not a prophet. Okay, I don't know the day of the Lord. If I, if I gave you guys a date, I said, Jesus is coming back on this day, what would you guys do? How many of you would stone me? <laughs> right? I, no man knows the day or the hour. But what if I told you that it sure looks like he's coming soon? Would you believe me? I don't know for sure. It might be another hundred years, but it might not be. I have to tell you this. I'm obligated as a watchman to tell you this. I see what's going on in the Middle East there. Iran and, and China, you know, the cyber attacks. I mean, just so much that's happening. I see what's going on in our United States here. And, and just like the signs of the times are just staring us in the face, here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, notice it says, For the wrath of God 
is revealed. You see, the, the wrath of God is revealed. Not just God. We're going to see later God is revealed through his creation. But did you catch that? The wrath of God is revealed, it says right here, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power on Godhead so that they are without excuse. So you look at the stars in the sky and you look at a little baby that's being born. I mean, you name it. You look at the creation and it just tells you a lot about God, about his power, about his personal you know, involvement, uh, just about his holiness. I mean, you could see it in the things that are made, right? So it, it doesn't matter. You might not have uh, you know, the explicit revelation. You have the general revelation of God. And what he's saying right there is that no one's without excuse. You should know, they should know, the whole wide world should know there is a God who made everything and a creator God that we are accountable to. So important, the creator, the creator. And so it says right here, but, but they, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And so there you have all those idols, right? Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves to exchange the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. What do you think the lie is? They, 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 they came to this place and they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And again, I can't be dogmatic about it, but you know what the lie probably is? Evolution. That we are all here by random chance, a series of fortuitous occurrences, that there is no creator. And we don't worship the creator anymore, we worship the creation. And so right here, they, they, they did that, and they worshiped and served the creator rather than the creator, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. And then when you read the rest of the chapter, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchange a natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the, the penalty of their error, which was, which was due. Do you guys see that it started, this is why in the book of Ezekiel chapter 8, it escalated in greater abominations, greater abominations, until the final place was they no longer worshipped the creator. They worshipped the son, they worshipped the creation. And then we see that here in Romans chapter 1. And so then what happens? God gave them up. God let them to themselves. God says, okay, you want to do your own thing? And next thing you know, women are with women, men are with men. 
Next thing you know, you see the perversity of the world that we live in today, the sexual confusion and all this gender chaos. It's not that God did it. It's God says, okay, I'm going to kind of let my hand go and watch what you guys do to yourselves. And what we see in the book of Romans is God is just saying, this is my judgment. And as we're back in Ezekiel, I see this happening to our nation. I mean, when you've got someone like Putin calling out the United States of America because of our sexual perversion, you've got someone like Elon Musk. I mean, again, I don't agree with everything the guy said, but today he made national news because he tweeted uh, what has happened to America. I think we have a picture of that. And the other one, it actually shows Elon Musk. I think it's just like this, or maybe not. Anyways, it, you know, I don't... Is it, they, do they still call it tweeting? Because it's not Twitter anymore. What's it called now? X. Anyways, um, he, he said, he said what, what happened to America? And that, like I, I told you earlier, you know... Oh, let me read this to you. What, what is this guy right here? Basically, he retweeted this... And he asked the question, what's happened to America? Violent activists tore down dozens of statues, including Columbus, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington. None were held accountable or charged with a hate crime. Michael Cassidy knocks over a Satan statue made out of a household item and gets charged with a hate crime. Welcome to America's two-tier justice system. The police state made it clear who they worship, wokeness and Satanism is the new religion. And so Elon Musk saw that and he said, yeah, like, what's happened to America? So, again, an optimistic guy like me says, let's pray, let's shine, let's share, let's love, let's man preach the gospel and hope that God turns our nation around. But more than likely, what I see ahead, more realistically, is the rapture of the church and the judgment of this nation. This is why we got to make sure we're ready. And if we're reading something like Ezekiel 8 in the Amber Alert, I have to make sure there are no idols in my heart, that nothing and no one comes before God. Verse 17, he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations would they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence. See, the violence was because of their sin. They're the ones that were accountable. Then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I also will act in my fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Right there, you know, God just says it. Hey, these guys right here, they, 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 they put the branch to the nose. And, and more than likely what that means is uh, they kind of lift up their nose to God. Like, I don't know. You guys don't do that anymore. You used to, huh, before you're Christians. You would think you're all bad, right? <laughs> Some people are like that with God. They actually snub the branch. Who's the branch? Jesus. They snub their Savior. And so let that not be us.